0: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. I'm here with Kellum Throgmorton to talk about the talk he gave at the Pecos Conference. Hi, this is Kellum. Um, today I was talking about research that I have been doing on late Basketmaker 3 and early Pueblo 1 communities in the northern southwest. So these are these are communities that date between about 600 AD and perhaps 775 or 800 AD. It's uh, this, this period is one of the first times that we see aggregated villages with more than 60 or 70 people in them forming, uh, so it seems to be a very important time in, in southwestern history when these first villages arise. A lot of the social institutions that we kind of associate with the Pueblo people uh, probably f- have their origins during this this moment of social change. So the crux of the argument I was making in my, my, my talk here was that um, landscape and architecture are two of the things that people are manipulating um, quite a lot in this transition between one kind of settlement and another kind of settlement that's a little bit later. Um, And I described a site uh, that I I recorded on a Rivey Wash in Northeast Arizona. That was on a, a, a butte top where the butte top itself was functioning as a kind of ceremonial architecture where you can see that there are you know, there's space that basically the equivalent amount of space is sort of a great kiva or dance plaza is cleared out on the top of this butte um, which is within the viewshed of all the surrounding sites in in a community so there's about 12 different Households that all have this butte as their focal point, and they're using the butte itself as a kind of architecture. Is there anything built on top of it, walls or anything to designate it further as ar- architecture? Yeah, it's actually it's it's a really interesting site. That's been um, the entrance to the site. It's it's on this isolated little fin of rock, and it sticks out. Oh, maybe. Probably 300 feet or so above the surrounding floodplain uh, and it's only the butte is only about a hundred meters across and so it's it's the view from up there is incredible and on the top of it um, there are a series of uh, the remains of little tiny pit structures uh, which are small subterranean dwellings uh, that would have been roofed with some sort of uh, earthen and wooden superstructure well there's about 25 of those um, and it looks as if they were all occupied sequentially uh, one Mm -hmm. after the other and they're not um they're not full-time habitations they're very short-term habitations Mm -hmm. there's also a series of nine enormous storage cysts that actually when you calculate it out could have stored enough maize for the entire surrounding community which was about a hundred people so I interpreted the butte top as a sort of the um, a landform that is the focal point of this community. Um, they have their communal gr- uh, maize storage facilities are up there. They can all see this butte top from their their habitations, and I suspect that they're congregating on the butte top at particular times of the year for community-wide ceremonies. So I made the argument that it's a communally used landscape and that they're actually kind of incorporating and inviting this landform into part of the community as a kind of architecture. Hmm. Now, that takes place between about 650 and 750 A.D. Fast forward uh, maybe 25 years to the second settlement I looked at. Now you have a much more re- it's, it's its placed on a much more restricted butte top. Um, Kind of a narrow fin of rock, and they constructed surface architecture on it. Mm -hmm. People were actually living on this butte top. And was this in a similar similar area, like three quarters of a mile away? Wow. Okay. So So they can see each other. Yeah, they could see these. The old settlement is within the viewshed of the new one. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this case, like a whole village segment has chosen to build its houses, um, kind of up one side of this butte, up and over the top of it, and down the other. Wow. And I argued that the very way they created their architecture, this new style of surface. Structure that's very sort of rectilinear full-height adobe architecture actually is emulating the appearance of the cap rock of this this butte um, and so there um, the whole complex is about 140 meters long and probably only contained a portion of the community but there were some surrounding settlements my main argument was we tend to categorize things very strongly between like that's natural that's cultural this is architecture Mm -hmm. that's landscape they're totally different Uh, but a lot of research has shown that for non-western groups of people and even sort of pre-modern western groups of people these these distinctions were not nearly as strong Mm -hmm. so i said when we start thinking about this kind of hybrid of architecture and landscape we can think of it as a resource that people were able to manipulate, like a lot of other resources, like, you know, food production, like um, ceremonial goods, like um, trade items yeah. such as ceramics and and, and and lithics and things like that. And I argued that the formation of these villages during that process, people are actively manipulating the meaning of these landforms, and that's a resource that they're drawing upon as they're gaining Uh, Power and prestige within these nascent um, village communities. Okay. That sounds like it's going to be a really big project. Are you going to try to find out um, if there are more uh, of these types of buttes? There are. There actually are several others. I don't know if I'm, I don't know how far I'm going to go with this. Um, Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be something in my dissertation work, but um, really for this project it was more that I had seen this pattern at several sites in the Little Colorado River drainage, Mm -hmm. and this particular one that I got to go record really hammered it home where I could just see it so obviously, the community pattern. I started thinking we really need to move towards considering, uh, you know, landscape and architecture as more closely related kinds of concepts than we currently do. Um, oh, that's really cool. And is this um, research going towards uh, your schooling? <laughs> not, not not much actually. It's I mean it's all all of these things are ideas that inform the way I approach the archaeology that I okay. do. Every time I see a site, uh, it, it it teaches me something that I didn't know before about how people lived here in the past. And I tend to apply that to the next project that I work on. So in this case, I'm taking these ideas about landscape and architecture and saying, hey, we need to take this kind of ritual landscapes approach, where architecture and landscape are a little bit of a hybrid. Um, Hippie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it kind of falls into the postmodern ontological turn sort of perspective. Um, people have applied that to say Chaco Canyon, which mm-hmm. dates to 900 to 1150 somewhere in there. While well, I'm saying, well, why can't we, you know, extend the same kind of landscape perspective back into Basketmaker Maker 3 and Pueblo 1, these earlier periods, two, three hundred years before, that people have not yet fully explored from that perspective. And so as I move forward with my dissertation work, which is actually looking at uh, sort of the... Um, ninth and tenth century precursors to Chaco Canyon. Uh, I am certainly going to say, how were they manipulating landscape and architecture in ways that, you know, helped certain groups of people build power in these communities? Such that by, you know, the the ten hundreds in Chaco, we've got great house communities where one family perhaps lives in a very large masonry structure that sort of, uh, you know is on a much grander scale than the surrounding habitations. And Mm -hmm. there's clear evidence of social distinctions between groups of people. Thank you so much for sharing your research with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at Chris at archeology